Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Style, space, functionality. The 2023 Chevrolet Traverse is a great option for people with disabilities. It was designed with purposeful solutions that help make driving more accessible, so you can get through the day comfortably and efficiently no matter where you need to go. Chevy Accessibility, engineered to go forward. Learn more at chevy.com slash accessibility. This week on Red Inca, we talk DRS and how it has changed umpires and how they make decisions. Also, how TV companies look at the game, and maybe most importantly, how batsmen bat. But there is still so much about this system that even the commentators themselves don't seem to understand. And so I got on one of the best writers on this particular topic. Hi, I'm Karthik. I go by Cricketing View on Twitter and elsewhere. In my day job, I'm a researcher. I work on buildings and cities and computers. But mostly I'm obsessed with cricket and technology and He spent years trying to get to the bottom of how ball tracking companies have worked out LBWs. So on this episode, we talk about umpire calls, the science and maths behind the decisions, how teams are similar in their use of DRS, why the fifth day is terrible for reviews, and weirdly, lie detector tests. I thought we'd start with something that you sent me on Twitter the other day, which is a Harsha Bogle quote, where he said, umpire's call is currently more difficult to explain to people than thermodynamics to a poet, which I thought was a bit unfair to poets, to be fair. But I do understand the general point. You've written out an article recently where you've gone through three former players, Shane Warne, Sachin Tendulkar, and Kumar Sangakkara, all of varying intelligences and backgrounds and different kinds of people, and all of them seem to not understand umpire's call. So I thought I'd get you on to explain it as good as possible. Why do you think, firstly, it is so hard to explain it to people? Mainly it's hard, I think, because of the way it's presented. I mean, they, they present that animation of the path of the ball, and they present it as if it's a fact, whereas it's a calculated estimate. And the way the animation, the way the visualization has been designed it's being done to erase all sort of indications of the fact that it is an estimate. Mm. You know, it, it's describing an event which has not taken place. And I think that's part of the reason why. And, and I think people are, don't understand the difference between an estimate about something which has not happened and a recording of an event which has happened. And those are two different things. I remember when having a conversation with a player a couple of years ago in a commentary booth and he wasn't getting it. And I said, you realize that the technology that they used 
It's a similar technology that was used in smart bombs. Do you think that smart bombs go to exactly the place that they need to go to every time? You have to understand that we're not there as a society. What we are trying to do in this particular case is take away the umpires making their best guesstimation based on all the, the factors they have and take it to a slightly higher level. We cannot tell the future. We cannot tell everything 100%. And you and I have both seen that there's also you know little fumbles with the system like trampoline mode where sometimes the camera's on a slightly the wrong angle when they're doing it sometimes the ball doesn't always match up with the ball on the screen all those little things and very tiny mistakes too like sometimes the ball will flick the front pad but when you look at the hawkeye it seems to have not noticed that and it seems to have been going on the back pad so it might only be two or three inches but we have two or three inches less to be able to do but you and i i think are very much of a similar thought here which is it is a far better system than just allowing umpires to do it on their own. But we also are more than aware that there is no way to get 100% correct with this sort of technology. I mean, I'm not really sure what 100% correct means when you're, <laughs> when you're evaluating something which has not taken a hypothetical. You mm. know, you're not, there is no such thing as 100% correct. You know, you're evaluating a counterfactual. You're saying, well, if the pad was not in the way, where would the ball have gone? That's, a, that's an alternative reality. That's that something which does not occur. You, you, there is no such thing as 100% correct in that. Yeah. You know, there's a reasonable estimate. And umpires provide a reasonable estimate using one method, which I don't know how to describe it. Perhaps the best way to describe it is trained, disciplined, expert observation hmm. is what I would call what umpires do. And they do it because, firstly, they're extremely experienced and well-trained. Secondly, they do it full time. They do it all the time. And they've developed heuristics and disciplines. You know, my favorite heuristic is the whole thing about, you know, when height is very difficult to estimate often, mm. uh, especially when the batsman is sort of forward and not caught on the crease. And a few umpires have told me that the, the heuristic they use is that if the ball hits the knee roll and then pops up, then it means that the trajectory of the ball is probably too steep for it to still hit the bale. It's probably more likely to go over the bale than not. Whereas if it hits the knee and then goes either sideways or down, then it means that it's hitting, it's traveling in a trajectory where it's probably not going to go over the stumps. Well, I think that's a really clever way of doing it. But at the same time, yeah. you and I both know that the knee roll is going to be at a different angle for many different reasons. Yeah. And you get things too, like, you get taller batsmen who their knee roll is not the same as James Taylor's knee roll, for instance. And yeah. and then you have batsmen who lean forward and batsmen who stay on the crease. But that's what you have to do as an umpire. You have to take all the available information that you have. My guess is that most umpires, and I'm talking more the level below test umpires, probably make a mistake on calling too many balls going over or saying too many balls are hitting the stumps. The same way that you and I probably spend a lot of time going back and watching old Ro Belinda footage and, and the other guys who now do what Ro Belinda does. If you look at the, the video, you do see so many occasions of leg stump used to be a millimeter wide the way yeah. that they used to umpire. But then you do occasionally see umpires who would give a lot of balls that seem to be sliding down. So there were certainly umpires who sort of believed in different sorts of measures of LBWs and how they gave them out. I was playing in a game recently with an umpire who has umpired professionally a lot. And he was just of the mind that the minute a batsman went forward, it was unable to be given out LBW. Yeah. I didn't have any ball tracking available. I'm not even sure that my balls could be tracked. They're so slow that perhaps a computer would even get bored. 
But there's certainly all those sorts of things play in. So what the umpires are trying to do realistically, as you said, you talked about heuristics there, is they are using all their experience probably from playing cricket when they were younger, from umpiring cricket, from all that time spent to come up with the best possible case scenario. So that's what umpires do. And I think we should say here that the evidence from the ball tracking estimates suggests that the umpires are amazingly good at what they do. Yeah. They're amazingly good at estimating where the ball is going to go. No, definitely. Yeah, Again, if you go back to the old footage or if you watch a lot of first-class cricket or women's cricket where the umpires aren't trained in DRS, you see the difference. LBWs, do you remember people used to get LBWs off the thigh pad all the time? Anytime a batsman used to leave the ball, you used to get an LBW because the umpire used to basically say, use your bat. Umpires now are so much better at the international level because they're better trained and also because they have the ability to go back at the end of the day and see their mistakes and see what they did wrong. So I think you're right. I think it's changed a lot. The other thing I think is important, which you've written about quite a few times, is that DRS is a system for reviewing decisions and not for appeals. That seems to be a fundamental idea that many cricket commentators don't seem to get. They don't understand that it is not supposed to get the right decision. What it is supposed to say is whether we can uphold or reject the actual appeal itself. Yes, it's basically answering the question, is the umpire's decision reasonable? Mm -hmm. And if it's reasonable, then fine. Then if it's obviously not reasonable, then reverse it. And what it has done is it's done more than that. It has created definitions for what is reasonable and what is not. So umpire's call is basically the definition for what is considered reasonable for LBW. Mm. For catches, there's now other protocols. Like, you know, in the recent series, there was a case where the heat signature showed nothing, but the Sneeko showed something. And so basically they have a rule whereby they default to, well, if the heat signature shows nothing, but the Sneeko shows something conclusive, then you have to give it out basically. Yeah. That's a choice. That's not necessarily a good idea, but that's the idea they go with and that's what they apply in every case. And that's fine. That's all you can do when you make an estimate. You have to have a set of rules and you apply those rules every time. The whole point of having a systematic method of estimation is to make decision-making less arbitrary. It is not Mm. to make decision-making more accurate. You see, because much of the inaccuracy and much of the anxiety about decision making comes from the idea that it is capricious that you know we are not really doubting the umpire's expertise we're doubting the umpire's motives yeah you see when we question the umpire and that's the real difficulty that drs is designed to tackle you know because think about how it came about you know it came about because the cable television companies which produced the broadcast acquired this broadcast enhancement package which com- came with this ball tracking system. Initially, the computing power was not what it is today, so it was nothing and not as good as what it is Mm. today at all. But it was still showing umpires up and it was still sort of showing um, balls which were sort of just just grazing past leg stump and the umpire's given it out or the ball is like clipping leg stump and the umpire's given it not out. And then, you know, you had commentators and everybody going to town on the umpires and basically the umpires were defenseless against that. And so they had to bring that stuff into the tent. And that's why you, you, you got DRS. Yeah, I think it's incredible when people say things like we should get rid of DRS. And, you know, you hear it in VAR even more in football. And you're like, you do realize that the TV companies are still going to have this technology. They're still going yeah. to show you the mistake. You're not going to be less yeah. angry. You're going to be angry yeah. in a different way. 
It's very interesting. The other thing is that I think, I mean, you could see this from over time. LBWs have fundamentally changed what they are, the way they are given, the sort of batsmen who they go against. You know, I talk about that, you know, recently in one of my columns about Cameron Green and Shane Watson. They both have perfect techniques for before DRS, which is they're big, tall guys. They get their big front foot as far down the wicket. And in the old days, they wouldn't have been given out. We now understand that is not how LBWs work. And if you're hit around the shin, it doesn't really matter how far you are ahead because the ball's not really going to go over. And we know if you're hit around often middle stump, unless the ball's angling down, more often than not, it's going to be at least clipping leg stump. So it has changed the way that we've thought about the game. What is interesting for me is that Part of the system, it's the backhanded approach. For instance, when I was talking to the ICC, we, we talked to Dave Richardson before he became the CEO of the ICC. And he, I think his role back then was general manager of cricket. This was 2011. DRS was already in use and the ICC hadn't tested it yet. They hadn't tested to see how it worked. So it was a very, very backwards thing where it started very much as a TV gimmick that was then used to make decisions. That's not really the case anymore, is it? They have put it through the ringer. They have changed things. There's a huge one with the, um, do you remember when they were redoing the reviews at 80 overs? There's some really good blogs, which I'll, I'll link to on, on the show notes, not just yours, but some some others that actually show that during that period when we had the redo at 80 overs, teams were just between 60 and 80 overs just taking reviews for anything. If you hit someone yeah. on the shoulder, you would appeal for an LBW. It was absolutely ridiculous situation. We have refined and refined and refined this system. It's obviously, you know, 10 years in, realistically, maybe 12 years in, if you want to go back to when it first sort of started. We're a long way from getting it as perfect as it can be, but there's a reason why it needs to keep evolving to get better. What it has done is it has taken the sting out of umpiring in the sense umpiring is not a flashpoint anymore. I mean, look at it. In the COVID era, you've had home umpires for test matches in England, in Australia, in Sri Lanka, New Zealand. There's been no problems. They increased the number of reviews to three and nobody is coming even close to exhausting those reviews because the umpires are still the same elite panel umpires. They're still extremely good. They're professionals. They're not beholden to their home boards or anything like that anymore. Yeah. And so, you know, the umpiring has been a non-event. You know, it's been wonderful, quite mm. frankly. But now that also means that the media grind has one less thing to quetch about. And that means that, you know, they try to gin up controversies elsewhere because controversies mean traffic. If you umpires were like a very fat to see target, before, mm. now they're not. And so I think the ICC has basically, whether by design or by happenstance, they've ended up in a situation where they have sort of tamed that problem. Because, mm. you know, given that it's nations against nations, those things can get out of hand and, you know, they can lose control of the situation in some situation. And it did happen in both back in the 80s and just in the years before DRS. And they can lose control of the situation. And it is much better to have this. And it's, it's a compromise. It has changed the way LBW is interpreted. It has basically eliminated the whole business of there being givers and not outers among umpires, mm. uh, which is probably a good thing. I've sort of come around to the view that Given the way the world is and given the way the world works, it's the best thing for umpires for there to be DRS. I think you're right. I think it makes us understand cricket, especially with the LBW law. I think it fundamentally makes us understand cricket a lot more than we did. So beforehand, 
batsman would pad up to spinners all the time yeah. or would get a mile down the I remember Carl Rackerman once, I should have gone and looked this up, but I think he once went 120 balls or something without scoring in a game where he was facing, I can't remember who the bowling attack was, but it was a spin-based bowling attack. And he just put his leg a mile down the crease. And because he was a big fast bowler, as long as he looked like he was trying to play the shot and he didn't get an inside edge onto the pad, he wasn't going to be given out LBW. That was fundamentally terrible cricket because he was he yeah. was doing something that didn't work. And that's why the LBW law changed in general because when it was late 30s to the 50s, batsmen had started to use their pads a lot more. And so yeah. we changed the law to stop them doing that. DRS, it has taken us in a different direction. And I think it makes cricket better. It makes If it makes you hit the ball more, I think it's better. And it also, I think it's helped spinners a lot more. I mean, you can see the rates yeah. of LBWs have <laughs> gone up with spinners. So I think it's a really interesting thing. And the other thing that you talked about before is I think a lot of it is the fact that they went independent umpires and that they also brought in DRS. The ICT doesn't get a lot of credit for the things that they do correctly, possibly because they make a lot of mistakes on the way there. But those are two things. As you said, you take the sting out of umpiring at that point. There's still people, I was still told on Twitter during this series that India was sawn off against Australia. And it was just like, and I remember the Sri Lankan fans doing it a couple of years ago. And you're just like, the numbers just don't bear that out, guys, when, when you look at it. I'm not saying individual series won't have that because you might get an individual series where some bowlers attack the stumps more. You might get an individual series where there's a bunch of mistakes by an umpire in one favor or the other. But when you look at the data all together, home teams aren't getting an advantage in cricket anymore. And as you said, we've got rid of umpires being outers and not outers. And I don't know if you, you see, but there was... I think it was in, there was a a statistical piece written maybe three or four years ago where someone went through all the umpires in county cricket Mm. over the period of like, I think it was, it might've been from the start of the eighties through to the early 2000s. And there was a direct pattern with certain umpires who gave a lot of LBWs and certain umpires who didn't. So we know that all Mm -hmm. those things existed in cricket beforehand. And we're now getting to the point where at least at the top level, at least at the very pinnacle of the international men's game, we now get the point where we are getting as good as possible decisions that are happening, and it is going to change the way that LBWs are given, and it will change the way that bats from bat in the same way that VAR changes the way that defenders are going to have to defend in the box because they now yeah. know that ticky-touch little things will change. But that doesn't mean that they weren't committing those fouls before. It just means yeah. that they weren't getting picked up before, doesn't it? But it's also that... Umpires have also changed the way they umpire because of DRS. I mean, there are, I don't know, I know that umpires are giving some LBWs now, and especially when it comes to LBWs on leg stump, umpires are prepared mm. to give those now, where in the past they might have hesitated because, you know, there's a chance it might be drifting down leg stump. But the fact that they've seen those estimates over and over again has helped them. You would expect, you know, someone who is sort of interested in empiricism and interested in getting things right to be influenced by something like that, because it is really very good evidence. Mm. And sure, the ball tracking system is proprietary, but I mean, it's not magic. If you know something about computer vision and something about how these calculations are normally done, then I can give a sort of a ballpark estimate of you know how the system is designed. And basically, there are two kinds of error in the system. You know, One is the error intrinsic to the, the calculation. When the calculation says that the ball will cross the plane of the stumps at X, Y, then it is essentially saying that there is a range of X plus or minus delta X and Y plus or minus delta Y within which it will lie with some probability and the highest probability is at X, Y. Hmm. 
and and the error sort of is not uniform it it is a bell you know it is either poisson or no or gaussian or some some distribution right mm. and the point of the the ball tracking system is, and one of the features of the ball tracking system is that it's much easier to estimate the line of the ball in, in relation to off stump or leg stump than it is to estimate the height because there's more information for the line of the ball than there is for the height mm. because height is essentially dependent on the information between the pitching point and the point of impact so you have to have enough frames of video between those three points to get the enough locations of the ball to then plot a projection that's basically a physics problem that's basically projectile motion but that's why they have the 40 cm rule in drs you know that if the distance between the impact and the pitching point is less than 40 cm then they say well we can't make an estimate because yeah. there's a good chance we don't have enough information yeah and that's also one of the reasons why the umpire's call band is much more generous on top at the bales than it is on the sides because the height is less uncertain and what the icc has done some testing of drs so they have sort of done testing they commissioned a study from mit by a professor in i think systems engineering or something professor sharma and uh, he is postdoc take operatorius in the study i talked to them not on the record but basically their estimates confirm this that as far as i know the error on the line is smaller than the error on the height yeah that's intrinsic to the calculation what the icc has not done is field testing now that's a whole other proposition right that's the other kind of error that's the kind of error where you test the system in the field and then calculate well how does the system perform actually in the field that is a different kind of error and we don't know what that error is as far as i know i think the mcc paid for some tests must have been around 2011 so one of those fancy schools yeah. i think at winchester school this was like 10 years ago yeah 2011 yeah this was a very long time ago i was told by the guy who who wrote hawkeye that that was not a serious test i mean it was no. a was not a well designed professional grade study <laughs> and and apparently it costs a lot of money to do these studies and there was as far as i know back then there was this big dispute about who would pay for those studies well that's why the mcc paid for it and just to explain what the mcc was like at that period i reckon a year before that the mcc said that all players should have to take a lie detector test to suggest that they were not match fixing <laughs> so it is possible that the mcc at that stage was not exactly the world leaders when it came to science and how science worked so i think that's why they tested work there's one thing that you've written about a bit that i think is really interesting which is where a lot of the commentators i think go wrong can you explain to me the radius of a cricket ball and the radius of the stumps and how that works when it comes to drs okay so the radius of a cricket ball is basically 1.4 inches right and the width of the stumps from off stump to leg stump i think is 9 inches the height of the stumps is 28 inches and change i think yep definitely and so basically the band is basically as long as half the ball is hitting any part of the stumps right any part of that 9 inches by 28 inches and change rectangle as long as at least half the ball is hitting that under drs it's classified as hitting right if less than half the ball is hitting within that frame then it's classified as umpire's call and that frame ends at the base of the stumps so in the height it's giving that extra bit of error which comes from the bales 
So basically, the reason that we have that and so that the ball hitting the outside of the stump is not given out is because let's say the ball's hitting the middle of um, middle and leg, right? Yeah. We have a very high probability that the Hawkeye has not made a mistake in the ball tracking. Yes. Because even if we're slightly wrong to the left, to the right, above or below, it's still going to be hitting the stumps. But the reason right. why we have that on the outside and why we have the umpire's call zone, I suppose you'd call it, is because if they have got the calculation slightly wrong in that position, it is actually possible that the ball could be hitting all of the stump or missing the stump completely. Is that right? Have I got that? Yes. And basically, let's say that the estimate has a quarter inch error, right? Six millimeters or one fourth of one inch is the error. So it can be, if I say that the position of the ball in line is X, then it can be X minus a quarter inch to X plus a quarter inch. Somewhere within that range, I'm confident that the ball is going to hit the plane of the stumps somewhere within that range. Yeah. Now, if less than half the ball is hitting the stumps, right? then it means that less than 1.4 inches of the ball is hitting the stumps, right? Now, if I'm off by a quarter inch, there's a chance in some cases that the ball is actually going to miss the stumps. Whereas if the hall is hitting the middle of middle stump, then if I'm off by a quarter inch in either direction, it's still hitting the stumps. Yeah. A lot of this comes from the difference between the fact that in tennis, we are tracking the actual trajectory of the ball all the way through and in cricket, there is a projection from the moment the ball hits the pads. Yes. I mean, the, the, in tennis, it's not really a physics problem. It's no. a vision problem. Yeah. As long as you've got the footage right and the camera can pick it up, we should be able to tell what has happened. Whereas in cricket, we are making an estimation. And so what that decision is at the end is it's saying, we cannot be sure enough that this ball is actually going on to hit the stumps. Yes. I mean, there's a chance that it won't. Yeah, I should say that the Hawkeye people, and I, I haven't talked to the, either company in a long time, but the Hawkeye people have historically been far more aggressive and confident about their estimates than the virtual eye people. At one point, the virtual eye guy had made a proposal saying that the umpire should be able to veto an estimate if they think it's wrong. <laughs> And that's not unreasonable, right? Because it's not the selling umpire, his product, but it's not unreasonable. <laughs> no, but the reason they did that, as far as I know, I mean, I would be shocked if in the ensuing years, either company has not made a big advance on this question, that the hardest part of ball tracking is to estimate the frame where the ball hits the pad. Because in this situation, you have to estimate the point of first impact, because that's mm. the relevant point, right? When the pad is on the move and the ball is obviously also moving, that's not a trivial problem. So at the beginning, I know that at least some one of the companies, I think it was Virtual Eye, they were manually locating the frame of impact. Now, there are other ways to do it. Like you can sort of estimate candidate frames of impact. Mm. You can write an algorithm to estimate, okay, these are the three frames or four frames which we consider to be candidate frames of impact, especially if, as you have now, you have 106 frames per second or whatever it is the camera is, you can have three or four frames, especially because sometimes, you know, the ball rides up the pad a little bit mm. or there's an impact because the pad is soft. And then you have another algorithm which ranks the candidates and then picks the best one. So you can do that. But there's going to be times when that doesn't pick the exact correct one, yeah. right? And then you're going to be off by a quarter of an inch. So that's the hardest part of DRS. And the two 
companies had different methods of isolating that frame. And that was the reason why they were differently confident. Yeah. But I would be very surprised if in the 10 years since, uh, they haven't made progress. The other thing that's vastly improved in the 10 years since is they're just sheer computing power. Mm. Because one of the problems was there was always this trade-off between frame rate, how many frames you have every second, and how much information you have in each frame. So do you have 48 frames which are high res, like thousands of pixels by thousands of pixels? Or do you have 120 frames which are hundreds of pixels by hundreds of pixels? At that time, if you have you know, 100, 120 frames of thousands of pixels by thousands of pixels, that calculation takes a long time. Whereas if it's 48 frames and thousands of pixels, then it takes uh, less time. And Or if it's hundreds of pixels and 120 frames, it still takes a short time. And, you know, during the game, you can't really wait for like three minutes or four minutes for the thing to churn out an answer. They also had different views about which is the better answer. Mm. Right? For example, I think the Hawkeye people tended towards the high resolution frames, whereas the virtual eye people in the early days tended towards the high frame rate because the problem of locating the ball is actually a hard problem. Yeah. But you see, the point is none of this is capricious, right? This is all sort of, you know, maddeningly logical. Mm. And so within the sort of the axioms that they set up and then they proceed logically to build this system, you can estimate where they're going to go wrong and you can estimate a computed error and you can estimate within their system if they say that there's a certain error, that's fine. Also, one of the things that you find in this system is that whether or not there's sufficient information to make a reasonably reliable estimate or not turns out to be a fairly binary question. So it isn't like a linear thing Mm. where on one end you have inadequate information, the other end you have adequate information, and that it's a straight line. It's sort of much more sigmoid. So either you have information, enough information, or you don't. Yeah. I mean, they're not crazy. They're not running a scam. You know, they're doing some engineering and some math. And, you know, they're actually pretty good at it. I would say that fundamentally, DRS has improved umpiring and technology has improved umpiring and umpires have got better as well. So I think in every way, shape, or form, if you go back and watch old cricket games, you will just see people given out in for ridiculous reasons over and over and over again. We're now getting so much closer to better decisions. The other thing that people want to talk about is the umpire's call being eliminated. And then the review essentially turns into a review of the appeal and not the decision. What's the unintentional consequence if you eliminate umpire's call, do you think? It is kind of unfair to ask the umpire to make a decision and then just because the player reviews it to then completely ignore it. Then Mm. why do that at all? You know, the appeal is there in every case. So why not just go from the appeal to the television? You know, why make the umpire stand in the sun for six hours? You know, they can just sit in a nice room and (laughs) in front of two dozen television screens and umpire from there. You know, they can score the game from there. They can declare buys and leg buys and what have you. Everything is possible. They don't really need to stand there. But the other thing is, there are some edge cases, as we saw, where if it's a Yorker or a half volley, the ball tracker doesn't have enough information to make an estimate. Mm. So if there isn't an original decision to be reviewed, then what happens in those cases? And if that's the case, then do you think that batsmen who for a century have been padding away with a long stride trying to 
evade the LBW law are not going to like run down the wicket and kick the ball away at on the <laughs> half volley. I can imagine batsmen doing that. That would be funny. Yeah. And I would like to see them do that because, you know, the, it's just like a batsman to try and get out of being LBW. But the point is, the reason I don't like the whole idea of getting rid of umpire's call is that there is not a good reason for that. Mm. The case that Tendulkar and all these people are putting forward is just rank bad. I mean, they're wrong. I mean, you can't say that it doesn't matter if 10% of the ball is shown to be hitting or 70% of the ball is shown to be hitting. It does matter. Mm. You know, it means two different things. Yeah, exactly. It, it involves two different bits of information. You know, it's not telling you the same thing. Now, if you don't care that it's not telling you the same thing, then fine. But then let's not pretend that that's going to make a better LBW decision. And let's not pretend that that implies that you're completely relying on the technology. You're not relying on the technology because you're not listening to what the technology is telling you. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Don't tell the technology what it needs to know when it's already come up with this calculation. It's already worked yeah. this out based on the mass and the engineering, as you said before. Just to finish up, there's a couple of interesting things. So there was a trunch of information released recently on DRS. I can't remember who yeah. it was, but someone went through it and released it and a bunch of bloggers took it up. We found some really interesting things. One is that the DRS success by batsman's average doesn't really change which is not the case, I think, that a lot of us, I think there was certainly a feeling on Twitter. That tailenders are getting sawn off. That tailenders get sawn off and that top order batsmen uh, use them because they're good. Yeah. And it turns out that the numbers don't really back that up, I think it's fair to say. Another thing that was that some teams are better than DRS than other teams is incredible. So the worst teams at DRS are Sri Lanka, Pakistan, and New Zealand, who are 25% successful at DRS. The best teams are Bangladesh and England, who are 29% successful. That yeah. is not a big difference, certainly not the sort of difference that you hear in the in the media. You hear a lot about Tim Payne not being a good reviewer. Australia yeah. at 28%, although I think these numbers are all-time, aren't they? I don't think they're of, of the last couple of years. There's obviously going to be fluctuations in teams. I remember talking to Matty Pryor about how England put together a structure of how they would review, which is, you know, talk to the wicketkeeper, talk to square leg, talk to point all those sorts of basic things. There were certainly teams not doing that up until recently. Not to mention the brain fade era where teams were sneakily getting someone to look up at the balcony to see what the balcony sort of these things. Are you surprised that they're doing that though? I mean, I'm continually amazed by all these people who look at these cricketers and say that, well, look at that. They're trying to get an underhanded advantage. Oh, what do you think they are? They're like competitors. Of course, they're going to try to get every underhanded advantage possible that they can get away with. I think looking at the balcony is basically like reverse swing. Once one team worked yes. it out, everyone sort of did it. And then a couple of times it's gone up very poorly when, you know, you see a South African or Australian looking directly. But there's a signaling system. I'm sure they're still getting away with something like that now. But the one that I hadn't thought about, which is quite interesting, I'd never thought about the fact that teams get worse with the reviews as the day goes on. And Tony Cork did a graph of this. I don't know if you've seen it, but in the test match, as the days go on, teams do get worse and worse with their reviews, Yeah, which is a really, really interesting one because I would have thought that umpires would also... You, I assume that on day one, teams make fewer mistakes and on day five, teams make more mistakes as a general rule, batting and bowling and fielding and, and everything else. And I would have assumed that umpires do the same. It seems like when it comes to reviews, at least... It's the teams that are making more and more mistakes and the umpires are staying much more level with their decision. Yes, I think that's because teams which are behind in the game use DRS worse than teams which are ahead in the game. 
Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because when they're behind in the game, they're a little more desperate. And they're a little bit more prone to using a review out of hope than expectation than when you're ahead. I mean, you would expect that. It's also why the number six and number seven batsmen review more often than anybody else. It's because they're the last batsman and, you, you know, it's there. So why might as well use it? Yeah. You know, who knows? You may have overstepped or, you know, who knows? There may must be some secret thing which happened or the machine broke down. You don't know. <laughs> why leave that on the table? Use it. All these cricketers are complete opportunists. None of them are going to give up any single little bit of competitive advantage that is there to be taken, whether it is in the rules or on the edge of the rules or slightly outside the rules, all of them are going to chase it. Why? Because they know that all the others are chasing it. Beautiful. That is a perfect way to end this podcast. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening. There are links to works by my guests in the show notes. Please review this show on Apple Podcasts or on any podcasting platform you have access to. This show is made possible by the people who support us on Patreon. So thank you all to those who do. If you want to hear more Red Inker episodes and you have available funds, please help us out on Patreon, which you can find the link also in the show notes. Red Inker is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorriston is the producer. He looks after your ears. And the theme tune is called The Prisoners by the Red Crickets. Podcast Network.